on today's episode of the Real Foodology podcast. I, I think if we were out, you know, in connected to nature and eating, um, you know, foods that are connected to nature as well, you don't get oral disease and you don't get oral disease in any biological system. You don't find it except in, in um, zoo, uh, zoo captured animals. Wow. That's the only time you find it. You don't find any dental disease oh. anywhere in nature except for then. Um, and so that's, that's a reality that we just don't really kind of talk about is that dental disease is only industrialized modern society and in pets and animals that live with us too. Otherwise it doesn't happen. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Swan, the creator behind Real Foodology, which is of course this podcast. It's also an Instagram and a food blog. And I am so happy that you're here. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, please, please, please take the time to rate and review. It really helps me. It really helps get this podcast out onto more ears. And that's ultimately the goal because I want to spread this message of health and I just want everyone to feel great in their bodies and um, learn about how they can do that. So on today's episode, I talked to Dr. Stephen Lin. He is a functional dentist who is actually based in Australia. We got connected on Instagram. I started following his work and I have been really blown away by what I have been learning this last year about the connection with our oral microbiome and our gut microbiome. And he is one of those people that has really opened my eyes up to a lot of this. Also, if you guys follow Organic Olivia on Instagram, she really opened my eyes up to this this last year just because with her parents having COVID and there've been a lot of studies coming out that there's actually a connection to COVID and the oral microbiome. So there are actually studies that show that opportunistic oral pathogens from the mouth can travel from the oral microbiome to the lung microbiome. And studies showed that having patients brush their teeth three times a day could reduce the risk of hospital-acquired pneumonia. And of course, talking about pneumonia there, not COVID, but there is this connection there with this Prevotella bacteria. And he and I briefly talk about that. And I just, I just find all of this so fascinating. I also am struggling to understand why it has taken us so long to look at the connection with our overall health and our oral microbiome. You know, it's, it's pretty wild that we've only really in the last, you know, 10 plus years have become aware of the microbiome in our gut and its importance and the role that it plays in our health. And of course, you know, disease and all of that. But now we have this new component that we, that a lot of people aren't even really talking about. We haven't even really made the connection yet that, we have this microbiome in our mouth as well. And if you think about it, everything really starts in our mouth and what goes into it. So, and it makes sense, you know, your gut health really starts at the mouth because you're always swallowing your own bacteria. And there's of course that direct connection there. So we dive into all of this and we talk about the oral microbiome, things that you can do to protect it, uh, foods that may wreak havoc on it, foods that can help it. And just lifestyle factors in general that are really affecting our oral microbiome. This is such a fascinating, such a fascinating episode. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. So I realized after I got off the call with Dr. Stephen Lynn that I completely forgot to ask him to tell you guys where you can find him. So I just want to shout out his Instagram. If you guys want to follow him, he is a great follow. He is Dr. Stephen Lynn. That's S-T-E-V-E-N-L-I-N on Instagram. And then his website is drstevenlin.com. And of course, I will add these to the show notes so you guys can find him. Definitely give him a follow. He's a great follow on Instagram. So with that, let's just get into the episode. Hey, how's it going? 
Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's it's yeah. morning here. We're about to um, start our clinical day. Wow, that's amazing. What time is it there? It's uh, nine o'clock. Yeah, so um, yeah, we I normally do an interview at eight, eight o'clock. It's Friday morning here. Um, yeah, so we'll fit this one in before the the um, before we start seeing patients. Yeah, but I, I've been following your work. It's, I, I love what you've been doing. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. I'm so glad that you came on. I've actually, uh, I was looking for a dentist that I could bring on to talk about this, but I wanted it to be someone that really knows the importance of preventative healthcare. And I found your Instagram and I love your work as well. And I was like, we got to, I got to get you on. We got to have a convo. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, um, there's, I mean, teeth can show you a lot, right? It's yeah. So, and it's all connected to what we eat. So yeah, prevention is key. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting, like, because, you know, I've been in health for a really long time. And this concept of the importance of oral health as it pertains to gut health is a really new concept to me. Um, I mean, I, and it's not to say that, you know, I go into the dentist twice a year for cleanings and brush and floss every day. Like, I take care of my teeth and it's a huge priority, but I never even thought about the connection to chronic diseases and gut health to our oral health. So I really want to dive into that. Can we start kind of with the basics about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of, that's a whole huge enigma in our healthcare system that we've disconnected one oral care from the rest from systemic medicine. So why doctors and dentists, they really do work very separately in society. And that's been a product as to why, for instance, you had this disconnection. You'd go to your dentist for a clean and it was this other thing you would do, you know, important to scrub your teeth clean, right? Um, And that there was no real thought or, you know, connection as to how it potentially flowed on to issues that you could have in the rest of your body. But the literature for that has been um, around for quite a while now. You know, we've known the connection between periodontal disease uh, and heart disease for quite now, for quite a long time now there's there is a correlation between um people that have severe gum disease they they're more um, likely to have heart attacks uh and strokes and for instance so cardiovascular disease is known to be connected to the mouth we know for instance that um certain oral bacteria in your gums travel straight to the heart and can cause an autoimmune like reaction and this is this is something that dentists are aware of that they need to screen in their medical history form because if they do a certain type of cleaning it will release a, t- a bacteria that will go to the heart and cause an infective endocarditis so this has been known that's pretty serious right that's a pretty direct yeah. serious connection right so <laughs> it's pretty crazy that we've just kind of gone to that level and said, well, you know, these patients need antibiotics and then that's it. Um, you know, dentists for, for the most part have been trying to, you know, say that, Hey, we're, the mouth is important too, but I do think there's been some, um, you know, you know, some ways that we've been looking at the mouth as being a little bit too mechanical and just looking at teeth and isolating what we see in the mouth. And, you know, it's, it is a little bit of a difficult picture, but, then when you start to see really for as i began to see the work from the, the human microbiome project coming out which is 10 years ago you know this was really painting the picture as to you know you're uh, literally swallowing thousands of bacteria every second it's moving into your digestive system and then these bacteria are speaking to your immune system and then all of a sudden you've got this connection and then you look back in the literature and gum disease for instance 
you know, it appears exactly uh, in line with other autoimmune conditions. So when you have an autoimmune condition in the literature, it shows that your risks of other issues, um, other autoimmune conditions in the body um, go up. So if you have um, rheumatoid arthritis, you'll often have, um, you know, potentially, you know, thyroid issues or, um, or the big one is Sjogren's syndrome, which is dry mouth. And so this often connects to other, um, risks of autoimmune conditions, digestive uh, issues, and so forth. But, you know, periodontal disease sits right in there. So you also have uh, your immune system eating away literally at your body, um, you know, in, in a certain part. And gum disease sits right in the same category, yet we don't categorize it as an autoimmune condition. And so I think that's a really, really big misnomer in what we're, what we're thinking about, you know, in terms of, you know, hey, you're going for your clean every six months for these bleeding gums, but this bleeding gums uh, you know, really is a part of a, a, a disease condition that will potentially, um, you know, flow onto an autoimmune condition. And that's what periodontal disease is. So when you start off with, with bleeding gums and gingivitis, you have inflamed gums. And then if it stays there long enough, the gums begin to sloth away and it affects the ligament that holds the tooth to the, the bone. And then the, the ligament itself begins to slough away. And so this is a collagenous um, relationship between the gums and the bone that begins to slough away. And then what happens is your bone then begins to degenerate. And so this is a, the body eating away its own tissues. It's the same mechanism as, as an autoimmune condition anywhere else in the body. Yet we've not made that connection. And yet we know now that autoimmune conditions are seated in the gut. We understand that, that, intestinal permeability is a big factor there. So why aren't we looking at this permeability both in the, um, in the mouth and the gut and why it isn't, um, you know, why we aren't connecting these things. And so it's this really strange disconnection we've had. Um, but the, the links are so powerful because the amazing thing about the mouth is it really does show us how, um, you know, how, you know, how targeted we can get in terms of understanding our health. For oral disease, but also too for um, you know for understanding disease processes later on in the body. Wow, I mean that is a lot to take in. It's so interesting, and like I said, I, I really you know as we start to talk about it and we dive into it, it makes sense because, like you said, you know it really starts in the mouth. What, what you put in your mouth, we're swallowing bacteria. It's going down into our gut. Um, it's just it's a wild. It's a new concept for me. So. And, you know, I was reading um, right before we got on this call, there's a study on Science Daily about the connection between brushing your teeth and Alzheimer's, which I had never heard before. So apparently the bacteria that causes gingivitis can move from the mouth to the brain. Yeah, so one of the, it's really fascinating, you know, one of the big connections um, that they've found, you know, both in uh, mice and uh, human studies is that they, the Alzheimer's brain does seem to harbor this oral bacteria. And so, and we find it, um, and it's, it's the most common uh, oral bacteria you find in gingivitis. So porphyrmonious uh, gingivitis. And so it, it causes, um, it causes bleeding gums. And so it's, we, we find that's the, the one that dentists are trying to clean off your teeth every six months. And, and it, what seems to happen is that it colonizes, um, you know, there are certain connections to other, other diseases, like it'll colonize the liver, it'll colonize, um, you know, for in, in other places in the body too, because 
and what seems to happen is the oral microbiome, so the, the bacterial colonies that live in the mouth, is like a it's like a director of what's happening because um, it's listening so much to to the environment. So it's saying, hey, this is ha- happening out in the environment. This is what we need to be doing downstream in the body. And then when you get dysfunction in in the mouth, and so chronic inflammation now, which is a huge factor in in, in dementia and Alzheimer's disease, is first picked up in the mouth. So you have um, you know periodontal disease, which is chronic inflammation. Um, you know this is feeding back um, signals that is the same process as what's happening in the mouth in the in the brain. And so. Wow. And the other interesting thing is that we, this is a little bit kind of less known is that they're actually finding that bacteria climb up the cranial nerves. Um, and so they'll actually climb up the, the, the nervous system. And so if you look at a picture of the cranial nerve connection to the teeth, which is yeah. so the trigeminal nerve, which goes straight to the brain, uh, then what's likely happening is that there is a bacterial highway between the the mouth and the the brain and there's actually there's research from the 60s and 70s that showed that um teeth will absorb um certain um you know know, certain aspects from or nutrients or molecules from the mouth what they did is they injected a radioactive dye um both into the bloodstream and into the oral um environment and they can follow the dye from the from the uh, the mouth into the bloodstream and vice versa. So there is a permeability happening between the the, the teeth and the bloodstream. And you know we, we know this happens. It's just we've not explored it at all. Um, so teeth are at literally um, absorbing things and um, acting more like an organ rather than than a kind of an inanimate object. Wow, I've never heard that before. So does that mean that there's something going on? Because I think about, for example, in the gut, when you have leaky gut, um, that is not supposed to happen. Is this something that maybe the teeth enamel has been broken down? Or is this just we never knew that this was possible and it's just something that happens with our teeth? No, yeah, it's something that seems to go wrong. So they showed in that research that they could change the permeability of the teeth. So normally um, there would be an outflow or inflow of... um, of uh of of the material so they would have the radioactive they could change it via glucose um uh, yeah so the consumption of glucose so and into the oral environment so when you change the bacterial environment so the the bacterial then direct what's happening in terms of the absorption of the tooth so the tooth um needs to know how much simple carbohydrates in the mouth because what happens is certain bacteria begin to metabolize the the simple carbohydrate and then it will change the pH and the mineral balance of the tooth. So the tooth needs to know that and then it, it, it probably needs to compensate. So that's why it will change its permeability to either absorb or excrete something. Um, and so this is all happening through diet. So that's just one variable. So you can imagine all the other different, different variables that would affect that. One being, you know, primarily that they also find that the um, parotid gland, one of the major saliva glands, uh, releases a hormone. So the brain will actually tell the teeth, you know, whether to mineralize or demineralize or what it needs to do in terms of, um, you know, storages of nutrients uh, and then release hormonal um, hormonal messages to tell the saliva and the 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 enzymes and all everything else happening in, in the mouth wow. to, you know, to basically maintain tooth structure or, or to, or saying the body needs something or something along those lines. 
This is so interesting. I haven't heard any of this. I'm a little like blown away right now. Bioindividuality is a subject that is really important to me. I think it's especially important in the context of health, nutrition, or diets. What works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. We are genetically made up differently, and every single person on this planet is made just a little bit differently. Of course, we all have the same organs and the same functionalities in the body, but what affects me is going to affect you differently, and that is totally based on our own genetic makeup. This is why bioindividuality when it comes to health, diet, supplements is really important because what I'm going to need, what my body's needs are, they're probably going to be different than what yours are. And the only way to determine that is through lab work. This is why I love honed vitamins so much. It's so simple. They make it so easy to do. All you do is you send a little clip of your hair into their lab They analyze it. Then they send you back a full report of exactly what's going on in your body. And then they recommend vitamins specifically tailored to what is going on in your body specifically. Bioindividuality, baby. This is the way that we need to be treating people. And this is the way we need to be doing our supplements and our diets and everything having to do with health. So if you guys want to try Honed, go to livehoned.com. That's L-I-V-E. H-O-N-E-D, and use code REALFOOD15. You're going to save 15% off the hair analysis test. I hope you enjoy. Um, I also wanted to mention something, too, that I found was really interesting. I don't want to go too much into detail, but I'm curious if you have read this. So this last year, I've been following Prevotella a lot because apparently there's a connection between um, Prevotella and possibly covid And I just thought it was so interesting because they were saying that people, that patients that brush their teeth three times a day could reduce their risk of hospital-acquired pneumonia because there's apparently a connection there with the opportunistic oral pathogens from the mouth that can travel from the oral microbiome to the lung microbiome. And I was like, that's when I really started paying attention to all of this. Yeah, that's one thing that's, it's crazy that we've really not spoken or, you know, had you know, broader discussion on this because there's a well-known connection between oral bacteria and um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorders. We know that the, you know, the, the oral environment affects um, our susceptibility to lung disorders. Yeah. If you just reading the the literature really is, it really makes it so simple, right? That we know that there's a lung microbiome and that the oral microbiome communicates with the lung microbiome. So we have this connection. And so the the, the link between um, oral disease and what's happening with bacteria is that you lose diversity. The same things ha- happen mm. in the lung. And so you get this colonization by certain bacteria. And Provotella is one of the, the main um, uh, periodontal disease bacteria. So, and we've, there's, there's actually a periodontist in um, Los Angeles that's been publishing on, on this, on the connection between gum disease and um, a potential uh, COVID, uh, complications. So the fact that we're not screening everyone, you know, this is a really simple measure to understand, Hey, you know, we can get, this is what dentists do. You, we can understand your, um, oral inflammation, your risk factor with your, um, your gum pocketing and, you know, with a simple, um, oral imaging, like a, a 
a radiograph or a CBCT, we can see your and and mark your gum disease. And then, you know, there really is a quite a strong link there to risk factors for um, for respiratory disorders. So, you know, it's there. I I really don't know why. You know, it's this disconnection again between oral medicine and and systemic medicine. I really think it's one of the big things we need to make because yeah. functional medicine and um, you know. A lot of the work that other people, body workers, every everyone else, naturopaths that are trying to to bring the body to work together, if they don't have a good picture of what's going on in the mouth, you're really just missing such a big significant part. And you know, we're we have such a complete picture there when we just pull it all together under one umbrella as as a functioning system that we are. Yeah. So, what's causing this oral dysbiosis? If someone that has this. Um you know, like Prevotella or whatever it is, like how, how is that happening? Are, are there things that we're doing? Is it our diet? Is it lifestyle factors? Is it all of the above? Yeah, it's, it's all of the above. Um, so, I mean, your mouth really is the input from, from your in, environment. So the, the big connection we see um, between dental disorders is that you don't see it anthropologically, you know, when we eat, um, you know, diets that don't have processed food. So dental disease really only pop up, you know, 12,000 years ago around the agricultural revolution when we began to farm grains and so forth, or when we began to record that we farmed grains. Um, so, <laughs> um, so the, there really is a connection between what we eat and they've actually measured plaque, um, plaque samples of people that, uh, live before and after. So in, so they would say hunter gatherer societies and you find more diverse oral bacteria, um, and colonies in, in these plaque samples compared to what we have today in, in modern society. So when you lose this diversity, it's the same in with gut microbes. So, you know, when they go to the Hadza and when they go to, um, tribes that haven't been connected to modern society and, and industrialized process, press, processed food, then you find these gut microbial environments that are so diverse and so connected into what they're you know the environment but also too they're resilient because they've got all of the um the different species and factors that uh contributed to health of their ancestors and when we eat them on diet that we begin to to lose this diversity and it's associated with nutrients um one of the big factors in um in oral disease are fat soluble vitamins uh, and that's vitamin D, um, and, and there's support factors. And so when we eat low fat diets, which we have, and when we introduce harmful foods like sugars, refined grains, refined vegetable oils, then these change our oral microbes and it increases the susceptibility. So I think that brushing and flossing and, um, and, and all of these kind of modern techniques we use to manage the oral microbiome, they have a role, but they really don't look at the underlying, um, you know, processes that we have that have made sure that we, that we've been, had no dental disease for the vast majority that we've lived on planet earth. And so when we're wow. thinking about this, we need to be thinking about getting back to what humans have eaten for the majority of time that we we've walked on planet earth. And we also need to be thinking about, um, other inputs into the mouth. And one big one is breathing. And so, you know, you mentioned the connection to respiratory disorders. Well, one of the biggest problems that people have today is we breathe through the mouth. Um, and that might be a habit during sleep, but it also, um, 
is is a daytime habit that translates to sleep. Now, mouth breathing during sleep is an unconscious um, uh, unconscious habit, and it's a really kind of big area in um, in uh, dental medicine now, where we look at sleep in the airway and so forth, because people that struggle to breathe through the nose, they have these oral diseases in far bigger proportion than uh, than people that breathe through the nose. Um, properly. And one of the big things is actually the, the dental arch doesn't develop. So kids that breathe through the mouth um, are at more risk of crooked teeth. And it's one of the main causes of crooked teeth than kids that breathe through the nose. And yeah, we get the oral dysbosis. Yeah, we get the swollen adenoids and tonsils that yeah. kids have now and they have the, the lymph tissues removed from the airway because they can't breathe their snoring at night. Well, this is all a connection to how our oral environment is is interfacing one with how we breathe one with how the bones develop and then all the nutrients that coalesce together to come together to um you know create us as a healthy human being wow that's so interesting you know i have a girlfriend who recently started taping her mouth when she goes to sleep at night so that she can just breathe through her nose that i've i want to try it i have to be honest it gives me a little bit of anxiety because i'm like i don't know if i could fall asleep with my mouth taped shut so I went through the same process, right? Um, yeah. I, I was finding that I was getting some low-level snoring and like getting some kind of vibration at the back of my uh, maxilla here, which is kind of a, a risk factor in um, in Asian population. We get the jaws that are a little bit back here and then I didn't um, missing some lower wisdom teeth. So my jaw mm. probably isn't quite as forward. So my airway isn't as supported as what it needs to be. But what happens is that you get this vibration in the airway and it, it gets worse because when you sleep, the the brain needs to do all of these different um, things to recalibrate the body, it needs to calibrate the gut, the um, all the different endocrine organs, and so forth. If you if it's managing the airway, it be, it it becomes a, um, a a process that gets worse and worse. And so what happens is it it starts to lose the ability to manage um, its own blood pressure, um, and also to we increase the risk of um, other conditions like. Um, I mean, this this is the big link to outside dementia because the brain cannot clear its glymphatic system if mm. we're not breathing correctly. And so what happens is that when we're breathing through the mouth, it really is survival breathing. And so the brain's in autonomic um, fight or flight survival. So it, when you're pushed into survival um, mode, it becomes an anxiety response. And so the airway really is um, an anxiety response in that sense that um, – you, you know, if you have a constriction of the airway, it makes you feel like that. So it's a process to overcome this. So you can try it, but if you feel anxious about it, it means you might need to do some work in terms of connecting to nasal breathing um, and supporting the airway. And so the big thing too is that we have a bony architecture of the nasal airway, which is the nose, but we also have a musculoskeletal uh, architecture of, of the neck, which is really important during sleep, right? Yeah. And yeah. one of the big risk, um, uh, populations for for these sleep issues are you know women who are you know narrowly um, with narrow kind of necks and and who are slim built because you've got small small airways to start with so if there's a slight amount of constriction you get these um, what's called upper airway resistance syndrome mm-hmm. and that's where we have teeth grinding we have gut issues that the gut doesn't quite work um, and we have there's a connection to anxiety, depression, um, and also um, teeth grinding and so forth because we're in this um, 
low level of restorative sleep. So we're not reaching the deeper levels of REM sleep because the, yeah. the brain's constantly working on the airway. And the way to do that is there, there's a big connection to tongue, tongue posture and how the, the tongue muscles work to support the airway during during um, sleep. So if the tongue is up, then the, the airway is supported. It's, it's connected to how we sit and how we swallow and how we put our tongue to the roof of the mouth um, as posture instead of, of mm. um, being lower uh, and sometimes moving forward during swallowing. So there's all these things that we kind of need to do to reconnect to breathing through the nose at night. And so I went through the same thing. I would rip the yeah. tape off unconsciously for three months because you see, so I'd find it like in the blankets and stuff because <laughs> my brain was going, nope, no, this isn't, you know, I'm not used to this. This is survival now. But then as you begin to reprogram the respiratory sensors and, you know, how the gases are exchanging, everything begins to settle down and then you start to sleep with it taped on. But if not, then there's something else going on in these areas. Yeah. So is there also a connection with breathing through your mouth at night and uh, dysbiosis of the oral micro microbiome? Or is it more just about... Well, like I mean, absolutely. Yeah, there's, yeah. I mean... Studies, not quite there yet, but there is, you know, we've got some early um, research on how mouth breathing affects the, um, the oral microbiome. Well, one thing about the, um, even the, the, uh, the evidence in, and the research into the oral microbiome is still quite limited. So we're only yeah. looking at about, you know, you know, probably, you know, eight to 10 species, that kind of range, um, you know, and, and, you know, kind of thinking, formulating or, you know, oral, th therapeutics and so forth. But when you look at the research compared to the gut microbiome, it, it is minuscule what we're looking mm -hmm. at in the mouth. Um, and I really, really think that, you know, we need to have a, a really big focus shift to the mouth in order to understand this gut microbiome stuff. Because yeah. what I've seen in terms of research, um, looking at, at gut microbiomes, uh, biome issues and probiotics and so forth is it's really kind of paused. I haven't seen a lot of progress in the last kind of three to five years because I think it's stuck because we're not understanding the whole system. We really need to look at what's going on in the mouth. And the interesting thing is that during the development, so when a child develops, um, you know, in the womb, they are, you know, we know very, very little about the fecal microbiome. Oh, sorry, the, um, the fetal microbiome microbiome but so what happens is that um during birth uh the vaginal microbiome is delivered to the mouth of the of the child and then this begins to seed what becomes the gut microbiome so breastfeeding then becomes the bacterial transfer between mother and child mm -hmm. um the first connection is between the mouth and they find that the oral and gut microbiome in the first three to four months of life is very similar and then what happens after that that is it begins to diversify so so the oral microbiome acts like kind of a um a bodyguard and it's it's testing what's in the environment and saying right you're going to go through you're going to go through and then the gut microbiome then becomes the the big master center where the immune system is seated um and we that's basically becomes 80% of how we interact with the world and how we react to um, both infectious, but also chronic diseases too. You know, we talked about autoimmunity. Yeah. This is where it all comes from. So, you know, intestinal permeability is a lack of the management of the microbial community in the gut. Well, are we seeing how this is all connected to firstly, what's coming in through the mouth and then um, the the gut as well but then so back to mouth breathing then we have all these changes the connection to um the uh the vagus nerve in the in the um 
uh, in the brainstem. So the vagus nerve connects down through the back of the throat, but then into the gut. And so Mm -hmm. when you have the the, uh, vagus nerve dysfunction, which actually um, activating the vagus nerve is nearly all, you need to activate the oral posture and, and so forth. And when you breathe incorrectly, you're you're not activating the vagus nerve by definition. So you're starting to see that there's this there's these really interesting, um, you know, so such fundamental connections between um, the physiology of what's happening in the mouth and then what's happening in the rest of the body. Yeah, you know, as as we dive more into this, I just find it so fascinating that um, for so long we we really looked at just like specific parts of the body and we weren't making the connection that everything is all so connected. You know, you brought up the vagus nerve and there's that, um, the vagus nerve that goes directly from the brain to the gut. And it's why we call the gut the second brain because there really is that direct link there. And it's interesting. I've never even thought about our mouth also being connected as part of that. It's almost like a super highway. Oh, it's a total superhighway, and the mouth is such a key to understanding, you know, the the activation of the vagus nerve because um, the back of the throat um, is where all the the vagus nerve innervation happens, and that's it. It's actually yeah. activated through deep swallowing, um, and it's it's this connection between the back of the tongue and the the soft palate, and you can kind of touch you if you touch the roof of your mouth. And slide it right back to the to the soft palate. You'll feel the soft palate. That's where the back of your tongue needs to connect when you're when you're swallowing. And it's a very very difficult response um, or muscle re- response when you haven't done it before. And so what happens is that the tip of your tongue hits the um, the area behind the the front teeth behind the palate. That's kind of the spot where the tip of the tongue. Then as it the, the tongue rolls up and back. It actually has the back of the tongue should seal against the um, the soft palate. It's a very difficult thing to do, and one exercise yeah. I get patients to do is we 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 stand right um, straight against the wall with with the chin tucked right in, so that the um, the occipital uh, bone here is 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 straight, and then you can actually access it because most people just can't do it. And what should happen is when you get into yeah. that position, when your shoulders back flat against the wall, and you have your your neck in. You should hear the the clearance of of the um of of the the uh the back of the tongue, and I'll I'll see if I can make the noise. But I don't know if you could hear that. But I could hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what that's the sound that your tongue should make because it's act, it's sealing out the soft palate. And what's happening when you're doing that is that you're activating the vagus and glossopharyngeal nerve, which are critical for beginning the gut. Um, digestive process. Now, all of the salivary enzymes in the mouth are, uh, you know, it, it's probably up to 20, 30, you know, maybe even up to 40% of digestion begins in the mouth because it's yeah. breaking down all of the, the initial proteins and all of the, um, all, all the, the, the factors. And, you know, we've began to say that teeth are absorbing things. You know, I think that's, you know, the reason why Chinese medicine has, have you seen the meridian charts of teeth in Chinese medicine? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's it's due to, it's actually the teeth are divvying up, um, they call it energy lines and chi, um, but they're also divvying up physical nutrients as well. And taking in certain teeth will take certain nutrients to certain organs. And so the digestive process is literally happening in the mouth that you activate and connect to through this vagus nerve, which then goes on, turns all these different organs on as well, which you have to physically activate too. Yeah. So, and that swallowing process, which you do every 20 seconds, it connects your posture, it connects 
um, due to those deeper parasympathetic autonomic nervous uh, responses that you just don't have access to otherwise. I mean, this is fascinating. I also was thinking as you were describing that, I wonder how many people are driving, listening to this right now and like trying to emulate it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a hard one. It took me a while. Um, yeah, yeah, but so you kind of practice it um, with, so tongue sealing. So it kind of looks like, like and so yeah 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 so that's like it, it feels, it feels weird, ridiculous right? yeah it feels like but the thing is like once so the the thing i really felt that helped is because i um i'm a dentist right so a lot of time we spend time looking down i find that and you know, even you're working on a computer you know podcasting yeah. and so forth like when um you're sitting the way to support your your cervical posture is tongue posture and so you know we, we have such an epidemic of four forward head tilting now which does affect how our um our uh, risk factoring risk factors for mouth breathing so people with forward head posture are usually breathing through the mouth because they they feel uncomfortable being upright because the nasal airway is is closed out because the tongue's not out of the airway because we're not supporting this muscular part of the um of the airway so when the tongue's up, we feel okay being upright. And that's why I think you see ancestral cultures really focusing on, you know, the sit up straight kind of message to kids that was kind of there. It's because it supports their airway and it helps all these neural systems be in line. Um, that really does, you know, begin with with our oral postures. It's It's really fascinating, the connection. Yeah, that is really fascinating. So I want to go back a little bit to the bugs that live in our mouth. What role do these bugs in the oral microbiome play in our health? Like, do they help regulate any sort of functions in the body? Obviously, we talked about digestion a little bit. Are there other things that they regulate? Yeah, well, I mean, the, there's a big connection between hormones and um, and what's happening in the mouth. So when you when you fall pregnant, um, you see a, a, a shift from conception in the oral microbiome. And so what happens during pregnancy is that during the, the different trimesters, um, there's different shifts in the oral microbiome and you see a general shift towards a, um, a, a, a mouth um, environment that is like a type 2 diabetes um, environment. And the reason for that is because the the mouth and the, the hormones required um, need more cell turnover. And so in, um, in type 2 diabetes, we lose a diversity of oral bacteria. We find both oral and, and gut bacteria um, that, um, that create the metabolic um, dysfunction. But in, in pregnancy, we need it. So you see that, um, that shift in the oral micro, microbiome. And so what they're doing is it's regulating hormonal changes. They're regulating metabolic changes. They're regulating metabolism. They're, you know, they're regulating, you know, probably all, you know, a lot of this is because the oral microbiome research really is so limited. We yeah. really need to go a lot further into detail with this, but you find the different connections with, you know, um, how certain bacteria, so for instance, they'll colonize the liver or they find it um, in, in certain areas like uh, in pancreatic cancers, you find certain bacterias and, and also in the appendix as well, um, oral bacterias that happen in dysfunction. So when you get problems, you find this strange link between bacteria that should, should be regulating the mouth going elsewhere as well. So it, you know, they are doing everything. And I really think that the gut is um, far more complex and difficult to understand beast 
but it's a projection of what's happening in the mouth. So I think if we get a hold of the the um, the species that are living in the mouth, which are far more simple than the gut, and then having these these links to uh, risk factors for other disease, diseases, which we do, then it's such a great and easy um, screening tool. Yeah, I'm curious because they're so connected. Are they pretty similar bacteria colonies that live in our gut and our mouth, or are they? pretty different yeah they're similar but they're so there's um the gut has a lot more diversity a lot more diversity um so yeah you get uh, all these different types of of bacteria that are involved in um you know the different fermenting of um of of certain foods and so forth in the colon um but yeah so the the mouth is much more simple and you find certain species lactobacillus species are, are really important that's one area in the oral microbiome that's been um you know more studied where we see they've studied, you know, kind of fermented milk um, cultures and so forth. So lactobacillus species seem to defend against oral disease. And so that's one role of um, oral bacteria is that they actually defend against um, uh, tooth decay and gum disease. And the way Mm. they do that is they inhibit the guys that cause um, oral uh, dental disease. So uh, caries, so streptococcus, Streptococcus mutants, for instance, is well-known um, bacterial species that that uh, appears in tooth decay. Well, it's inhibited by lactobacillus species that we get from our diet that that, um, that are present in the mouth, and they just release little acids that just tell them to settle down and don't eat away at the tooth. And so, when you um, when you actually, well, this is actually going towards a, a more complex. Um, definition of tooth decay in the mouth because we see it as just oh you put sugars in and we have acid excretion and then you have breakdown of the of the tooth enamel it's far more complex than that what's happening is that over time you're depleting the um the diversity in in the microbiome this Mm. the resources that the bacteria have is is uh decreasing and then you're getting um a loss of protective uh, species then you get the um, the uh, disease causing species rise up and then cause the metabolic issues that then uh, need the minerals and, and actually go into the um, go into the uh, the storage of minerals in in the tooth. So they eat away at the tooth because the the oral environment is depleted. Interesting. So a lot of the would you say that there's similar um, factors involved that wreak havoc on our oral microbiome, similar to what wreak havoc on our gut microbiome? Would it be kind of similar things like pesticides, obviously, and antibiotics? And yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, it, it's. It, I, I think the the mouth might be a little bit more resilient in that sense. Like yeah. we probably don't see the symptoms as and as much um, for whereas you know long term. Um, well, firstly, there's a big connection between what's happening in the mouth and the gut to start with. Yeah. So what what happens is that um, when you have certain, um, like for instance, antibiotics during um, during pregnancy will will known to increase the um, the development of 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 um, stained tooth enamel, and it's because the um, the teeth don't form the mineral balance doesn't form under the gums um and so they need the same that good thing, bacteria yeah <laughs> and we're yeah, killing exactly, it off exactly well yeah. totally totally and they're, they're finding that bacteria are really really critical in the formation of bones so you're starting to see the research that 
that certain connections between um, gut bacteria and bone formation, that they're literally running this process. Um, and so the wow. same thing happens in the gums and teeth. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that simple, right? Yet yeah, it's kind of been a complex way to get to it. But so when you take, um, when a mother takes uh, tetracycline antibiotics during um, pregnancy, you get this dark staining of the teeth. And so that that's a, a direct, um, you know, kind of, impact that the, that the mouth sees now in um non non-celiac uh gluten intolerance you see mouth ulcers and so yeah. you get these little pop-ups between the mouth and the gut that um and you actually because the, the average diagnosis for um for celiac disease you know you know, was up to about 11 years. It's probably much shorter now because people are becoming more aware of it. But if you if we picked up that um, the gluten intolerance and um, celiac disease associates with childhood um, tooth enamel formation issues, then you would spot that that kid isn't digesting very well. And then you would potentially pre-diagnose um, non-celiac gluten intolerance before it ever became um, celiac disease. And so what the kids have is they have this softened brown enamel um, and that the likelihood would be that we don't have research on this yet, but they would have the um, signature oral microbiome changes that are shifting towards an autoimmune reaction to um, gluten in the gut. And so, you know, the, the, the mouth can act as this streaming screening um kind of area but then the the same things that affect the you know it's the same system you know it's crazy that we talk about it separately right like i know um, so yeah, true. it's it's literally yeah. the same thing. Like this is your gut right here. You 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 can put your finger into it. It's, That's um, a great way of of putting it. Yeah. Well, it's 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 literally what it is. Um, you know, and it's, I just don't know how we we've uh, we've come to the point where we've we've been so mentally disconnected. Say the mouth and the gut. It's the same thing. Um, yeah, and I think that's connected. a big leap. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and like, it's a big leap we need to make because it just breaks down so many difficult to understand processes when we start to see the manifestations in the mouth and then how we heal them, um, you know, conjointly. Did you know that coffee is actually hindering your productivity? I know. It's mind-blowing. I didn't want to believe it at first when I heard this. I recently had James, the founder of Magic Mind, on my podcast, and he dropped some major knowledge on me, one of them being that coffee, what it does is it blocks your fatigue receptors. So even if you are fatigued, you're going to power through whatever you need to do thanks to the caffeine and that coffee, but then once the caffeine wears off, you're right back where you started and oftentimes, sometimes even worse. So then what do you do? You reach for another cup of coffee. Next thing you know, you're drinking four, five, six cups of coffee a day, which is outrageous and really bad for your heart. In fact, James, I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. He talks about this. He actually had a heart condition from how much coffee he was drinking. And turns out he also was not even that productive on the coffee. This is actually what led him to find other ways to be more productive without having so much caffeine. And this is what led him to make Magic Mind. I am obsessed with Magic Mind, you guys. It is the world's first productivity drink. And it's designed to either completely replace your coffee or if you're like me and you don't want to completely let go of your coffee because it's part of my morning ritual, I love the taste. 
So what I've been doing is I am minimizing the amount of coffee I'm drinking. And then I'm drinking also this magic mind on the side to help boost my productivity. And I can't tell you, it is a world of a difference. I wish I had discovered this when I was in high school and in college, because the way that my brain functions now when I'm consistently taking magic mind is so superior to any other thing that I have tried. And the cool thing about it is that all it is is matcha adaptogens and nootropics. So you're not going to have any sort of side effects from any harsh pharmaceutical drugs or even having uh, that crash from your coffee. If you guys want to try Magic Mind, I highly recommend it. Also, they shared a code with me to give to you for 20% off. If you use code REALFOODOLOGY, you just need to go to magicmind.co. That's M-A-G-I-C-M-I-N-D.co. So for people listening, what are some signs and symptoms that something is off? Maybe they have dysbiosis of the oral microbiome. What are things to look for? Yeah, look, the things to look for are, you know, the, the general feeling, you know, your, your teeth are quite, um, you know, you have a lot of kind of symptoms associated with the teeth. So, you know, sensitivity and, um, you know, kind of the, the feeling that your, that your teeth are uncomfortable in, in a way, you know, that's a sign that, um, you know, it can be a sign, you know, there can be many causes of that, but it's a sign that the, um, the trigeminal nerve um, to that tooth is firing. And so the brain's getting this message that um, something's not quite up. And, you know, when, with my patients, you know, we we'll always talk about nutrients in those, in those instances, you know, so with tooth sensitivity, I'm thinking vitamin K2 because there's, um, there are proteins in the, in the oral, uh, environment that the tooth actually absorbs and that helps it to mineralize and control, um, its responses. So I, I think, you know, that's not in all cases, but when, if you're seeing these kind of symptoms in the mouth, you need to be thinking about what your body's trying to tell you because you're designed to, to, to be showing this, you know, your cranial nerves are all designed in this way. Um, oral ulcers are really a, a, a big sign that something's going on in your gut. If you get consistent um, aphthous ulcers or um, uh, kind of blotching ulcers or so forth in in the um, in, in the mouth, that's a good sign. You know, you, you've got something going on in in the gut. You know, and the whole kind of chronic inflammatory gut. Um, disorder spectrum, you know, IBS and so forth. I think you, know, you could probably pick up these um, these conditions earlier in the mouth and you really need to heal them conjointly. You know, so if there's any gum disease or perio issues, you need to do that alongside any kind of gut healing um, protocols. I see so many gut healing protocols that don't consider the mouth and you're just swallowing disease again and, and wasting all that, the time and money and so forth spent on supplements and, and testing. Yeah to to really not get where you should um white uh white patching um can be oral lichen planus um and so that's uh, an autoimmune condition it's very subtle though you don't have any other symptoms besides these white patching sometimes on the tongue sometimes on the side of the mouth like it's like a line on the inside of the cheek um that's an autoimmune condition and so if you've got oh. that in the yeah, yeah, it's it's a really simple one, and it's reasonably common too. Or oral like like in plainness. Um, so white patching. That's that's if you have that, then you really should be thinking. You know, you're in the big risk category for leaky gut because mm. it, that autoimmune condition will um will put you in the risk risk 
category. And maybe there's something else going on that you could identify before it becomes a full-blown disease. And yeah, so yeah. And the other things are like dry mouth. The big one is dry mouth in the morning. So sleep's a really big factor that the mouth can help us kind of connect to. So if you have dry mouth in the morning, it means you're not breathing right. Um, and that that you really need to start thinking about how you're using your respiratory system um, in order to, because the other thing too is if you're trying to one heal the teeth or the or the gut, you really need to close this and let the saliva and let the digestive systems uh, work as it should. Because if you're breathing through the mouth, it is completely changing that um, that environment that's not designed to be that way. Interesting. So what are some things that people can do in order to protect their oral microbiome? Are there certain foods that feed them and that are good for it? What are things we can do? Yeah. So, I mean, like the, if we follow what humans have eaten, um, you know, for the, for the, you know, the vast majority and what has produced healthy teeth, you you find that, that, um, that we have the, the, the foods that are, ancestrally and traditionally um uh prepared and cultured so traditional foods like um that are based in organ meats really the reason why our ancestors um ate those foods because they're so rich in fat soluble vitamins Mm -hmm. and there was a dentist that went around the world to look at this how how ancestral cultures um treasured these foods and and ate foods rich in fat soluble vitamins and these really are nose to tail um uh organ meats uh, associated with the animal products because animal products have the activated fat soluble vitamins. You don't get them from plant foods. So the teeth really direct us towards a- animal foods because they provide the the highly bio bioavailable nutrients that support the the osteoimmune system. So vitamin D goes straight to your bone marrow. So vitamin D starts signaling your bone marrow to create a strong immune system and strong teeth and strong bones. And so when we don't have enough of this system, which is supported by vitamin K2 and vitamin A, then you begin to get the dysfunction in um, firstly your teeth. And then later on in life, you get the osteoporosis because the bones have um, have depleted because we don't have these nutrients. And so these foods are, you know, I say organ meats, everyone probably cringes about it, but the reason why, you know, I, I talk about it is because you don't get that high concentration of um, nutrients from any other food. And that's why yeah. our, our ancestral cultures all treasure these foods. So the other thing is like egg yolks, um, grass rays, um, dairy is great because it's got all the fat soluble vitamins, um, you know, the, the heavy fat, um, uh, fat, uh, fatty cuts of meat, fatty fish. Um, these are the things that carry, um, you know, the fat soluble vitamins that really support your oral and, um, and, and osteoimmune system. So is there a world in which, like, because you were talking about our ancestors really didn't deal with the issues that we're dealing with today. If, hypothetically, if someone had a really super clean diet and they were eating all, you know, a bunch of organ meats and good healthy fats, would they not have to brush their teeth? Well, I think the perspective of brushing is that we really need to put it as to how modern it is. You know, I think there's a role for brushing. I think, you know, in today's society, you know, we're we're surrounded by, you know, um, packaged food and chemicals. And our ancestors, 
Sorry. Totally, yeah. totally. You know, and so I think there's a role for um, for oral hygiene because it helps us manage. Um, you know that you know, and that's the, the kind of the society we live in today is that we have the ability to be able to to modify, uh, you know, biohack or whatever you want to call it, our, our physiology, right? But the yeah. perspective is is that these are really, really modern techniques, and if you look at how modern disease has is is um, you know. It, the rates of it today, it really hasn't worked that well either. And so the real way to, to prevent these um, conditions in kids. So uh, one thing I see in parents a lot, which is really tragic is that they've brushed, uh, you know, like crazy or they've tried to maintain the kids oral hygiene and then the kid still has cavities. And it's Mm. like, well, you know, there's deficiencies here that go back to, you know, before to, you know, conception and during pregnancy that we are, we were lost from this connection to food. So I, I think if we were out, you know, in connected to nature and eating, um, you know, foods that are connected to nature as well, you don't get oral disease and you don't get oral disease in any biological system. You don't find it except in, mm-hmm. in um, zoo, uh, zoo captured wow. animals. That's the only time you find it. You don't find any dental disease huh. anywhere in nature except for then. Um, and so that's, that's a reality that we just don't really kind of talk about is that dental disease is only industrialized modern society and in pets and animals that live with us too. Otherwise it doesn't happen. Wow. I mean, as humans, we've just really ruined, (laughs) we've ruined a lot with our industrialization, our health, the planet. Now we're messing with animals. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I've never heard that before. So for people listening, this is a bit more just about what you do. How how does someone go about finding a really good dentist? Yeah, so look, the world of kind of like I call it functional dentistry because like it's blended with functional medicine in terms of pr- the principles of understanding root causes and then using oral medicine um, techniques alongside. You know, I really think you know I'm kind of working on getting this this method and this um, these right. techniques out to to the to the world, um, but so with with dentists, you know the the world of biological dentistry, holistic dentistry. Um, the other angle on it is airway dentistry. So um, these dentists are more trained. They've gone out to do more training than um, than you know what was taught to them you know, just in straight dental school. Um, and they 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 practice in ways. And what you'll find is they'll they'll use little bits. Like they'll they'll do certain um, so certain dentists won't use um, certain uh, filling materials and so forth because um, we're thinking about the biocompatibility to the mouth. That's one big thing that's really coming out is that um, there is a a big issue with, with certain things we're putting in the mouth like um, metals and so forth that, uh, that do affect not only the oral oral biome, but also the, the systemic biome as well. So, Certain dentists will consider this, and and there's a great um, kind of selection of biocompatible ceramics now that are um, a little bit more expensive. But these are, these kind of restorations are are far more um, far more compatible to the, the biology of, of of our body. And then there's yeah. the there's the dentists out there that are, are considering um, the airway, and and so the big one that I really have to kind of you know tell people to consider is that how your kids are breathing and sleeping because that will have the biggest input into not only the development of their dental life, so whether they need braces and crooked teeth, which we can prevent, um, 
and but also too it will set up their architecture for how they breathe and sleep during their life if people breathe Mm. and sleep properly then it really does consolidate um how you know all of the things that we 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 have to cope with if you sleep well for most people will they'll be resilient to it if if they can breathe and sleep properly now dentists um if they're airway focused they will use approaches one to prevent um braces in kids so getting kids to breathe through the nose using a set of devices and exercises um they might use a myofunctional therapist which you, you can look up to which they're the people that teach um tongue posture and so forth alongside a dental arch um development and really thinking about how this whole system works together with the airway so they're the kind of main two to um to uh, more common dentists out there, their airway focus or their holistic uh, biological, and then uh, the third prong that uh, you know is probably a little bit rarer is the, the functional medicine aspect, where we're really thinking about nutrients, um, you know, and and you know further testing in terms, of, you know, the thyroid such a big connection to the um, to the mouth. So so comorbidities that affect that we see. Um, in the mouth and the gut and then for healing the whole system together. So that really is, it's a little bit rarer to be honest. Um, it's, it's in development and currently doing a few things to try and help it get out there, but you'll find dentists, great dentists that are kind of attuned to, you know, many or some of these areas and you'll be able to work with them, you know, and there really are some great solutions out there when you, when you find how to um, address, you know, certain oral conditions that um, do connect to the rest of the body. Yeah, that's fascinating. I wish you lived in LA or, well, I I might be moving to Austin, but I would love to come see you. I would love for you to be my dentist. Do you think there's, uh, do you think toothpaste, like specific toothpaste will mess with our microbiome? Because we know there's a lot of things that can mess with the microbiome. Will it like mess with the pH if it's not a great toothpaste? Or Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So when we're, when we're introducing, um, uh, broad spectrum antibacterials into the, the, the mouth, we know that they decrease diversity. That's the reason why we put them in. Now you have to remember when we began to introduce these things into supermarkets and, 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 um, you know, for people for daily use, we didn't know how complex and how critical the bacteria in our mouth and gut are. So these things are by definition, broad spectrum antibacterial. So anything that says it kills, all the bacteria in the mouth you want to stay away from, you know, unless you're treating a specific infectious issue in the mouth, in which case certain antimicrobials will help for a certain period. But yeah. you don't want to be putting these things in your mouth um, all the time because it will kill the diversity of the of the oral biome. And this includes mouthwashes. And mouthwashes are nearly a straight out kind of um, no because they're nearly, for the most part, all broad spectrum antibacterial and you know, you, you really want to be harboring, um, bacterial diversity instead of killing them all off. Um, and so most of these products, you know, and if you look into the research too, the, the, the mechanisms of alcohol, the mechanisms of, um, uh, certain peroxides, um, chlorhexines, we don't know what they do. Um, they literally don't know the mechanism and we know that they, that, that all some of these bugs will, um, are killed off when we uh, when we put them in, but we don't know how or, or what. So that means it's doing many many other things that we just don't understand yet. And there's some prelim- preliminary um, uh, studies on um, alcoholic mouthwash use daily and how it just it 
depletes the oral microbiome um, uh, diversity, which then can increase the risk of pre-diabetes. Um, so they found that pre-diabetics wow. were more um, more likely to use uh, alcoholic mouthwashes daily. So these these things, uh, in the next few years, we're going to find some really, really powerful papers coming out showing that there is a big connection because we've kind of just hit the level of understanding now that, that all of this is connected. And then the researchers are you know, on their way now to, to, to putting the connections together. Cool. So are mouthwashes totally off the table? Are there any ones that are good? I mean, look, so, I mean, I'll, I, I find, you know, anything more natural is, is going yeah. to be, you know, if you essential oils, um, you know, are, are okay, but that you got to remember most of them are antibacterial as well. So you probably don't want to use them all, all the time. Right. So it's yeah. probably okay here and there. And, you know, I like the fresh kind of t- taste as well. And it was really kind of big disconnection for me to stop using conventional yeah. taste when, when I did. Um, Cause you lose that really kind of like medical grade mint, um, freshness, yeah. right? Um, I miss that too. Cause I use a natural <laughs> toothpaste and I'm like, Oh, what I would do for some like fresh minty Colgate, you know, <laughs> it's not the same, right? Yeah. It it's really not. isn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so it's, there are, you know, kind of natural mint. And the other thing actually to watch out for, are um, uh, artificial sweeteners in, in gums and, mm. um, and, and certain mints is a load of, of, um, and we know the artificial sweeteners, and those ingredients really do change. They mess with the gut bacteria and, and they really uh, are likely to, to be changing the oral micro, mi- microbiome as well. Not so much um, uh, research on that, but you know, from, from the mechanism, we can kind of um, draw that out. Wow. Well, this has been amazing. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I ask everyone that comes on. What are some of your health non-negotiables. So meaning like no matter how busy your day is, no matter, you know, no matter what, these are things that you do for your own personal health. It can be, you know, diet related, exercise, meditation, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, so I've, I've got so many of them, <laughs> um, but I've also got young kids. So it's kind of like a, I, I oh, yeah. my balance is very, very, very thin at the moment. My, <laughs> but so for me, um, when weekly um i need to i'm trying to connect to sunlight and so you know we're talking about the vitamin d connection i find that you know once we um have our circadian rhythm connected our bodies are so much more connected into what we um you know what we uh you know how how our endocrine system is supposed to work and so morning sunlight was a huge game changer for me um rising with the sun sunrise that one was just you know, life-changing in terms of how I notice my body just being in tune with um, circadian rhythms and so forth. Um, daily, you have to have a, a grass-raised a- animal food pro- product. You know, it might be, um, you know, whether it is, um, you know, it, it's a fatty cut of meat at the minimum. I try to eat liver, you know, once, twice a week if I can. I, sometimes I don't because, you know, uh, obviously the preparation's a little bit... Um, yeah, you know, it's hard. family doesn't <laughs> love it either. So like, <laughs> yeah, but, um, and the other one is, is, uh, try to get broth as well. Yeah. So, um, the, the, the constituents of those foods, so the really, really high, um, high dose, uh, nutrient dense foods, you, know, you have to fit them into your daily routine you know, and you can probably compensate here or there otherwise, but if you're not getting those really precious foods, then, you know, your body's likely, um, 
will move in, into depletion. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's super vital. Well, thank you so much. This has been so great. And I think it's going to be such an amazing resource for my audience. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Courtney. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resident media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie, spelled with a J. Love you guys so much. See you next week.